That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. WQAD Podcast Network. The Cities with Jim Mertens. A production of WQPT. PBS for the Quad Cities region. A podcast in partnership with WQAD. What's going on in the Quad Cities? Activities, events, fun, politics, sports, local issues and opinions. And now, your host, Jim Mertens. I'm Jim Mertens, and this is The Cities. Now, the 2021 session of the Iowa legislature is now over. The Republican-controlled state House, state Senate, and governor's office work to put their imprint on state finances, election laws, pandemic relief, and other issues. We talked with Republican state senator Chris Kanoyer about what was accomplished and what wasn't. Senator, one of, the, one of the last things that happened as far as the, the governor signing uh, was the mask mandate um, and kind of the uh, pro- prohibition for local and for schools to have it. Why was it so important to do it so quickly? Because a lot of the school districts thought, couldn't we have just finished this school year as the policy now stands? Well, I, I think that was the that was the goal. You know, we were talking about mask mandates. We were hearing a lot from parents who were, you know, interested in you know getting getting uh, at least some comfort or some guidance on what to expect for the next school year. Um, but as we were discussing it, and as the legislation came through, you know, in the Senate, we had passed the bill uh, that would have, that would have be uh, effective on July first. Uh, the House amended it to be effective immediately, and then the governor decided, you know, while it's on my desk, let's I'm going to go ahead and sign it. And boy, I mean, I had people that were just contacting me and that had tears of joy because they were just so glad to finally get their children out of the mass to be able to go to school. And and you know, it's not just it's not just the lifting of the mandate; it's giving the parents the choice of whether or not to send their students, uh, their children to school with masks on. So um, I think I think kids are just happy to have the choice now. But you were on a local school board, Pleasant Valley. I mean, you would have liked to have made your own decision as far as your own school board. I mean, is it a bit of a state overreach into what's kind of a local issue? Well, yeah, and I was on a school board, and I think that there it is important to make sure that local decisions are made by these locally uh, elected boards and uh, you know city councils and and uh, county supervisors. You know, but in this case, I think there's no more no better example of local control than letting parents decide for themselves uh, whether or not to send their kids with to school with masks on. So I think it is the ultimate local control to let the parents put the control in the parents' hands. As you said, I mean, Iowa is in such, I won't say great, but very good fiscal position uh, getting through this pandemic. And I, I, you were talking to me a little bit earlier that kind of makes your job a little bit easier. Uh, tell me about what you see as the fiscal plan for the state of Iowa going forward as we come out of the pandemic, as tax revenues increase and, and, and spending is perhaps uh, uh, changed and not so pandemic centric. Sure. So, you know, we had the biggest tax cut in Iowa history in 2017, and that resulted in back-to-back years with over $300 million surpluses. And so to me um, and my colleagues in Des Moines, that means that there's still room for tax cuts. So we had a massive uh, tax uh, package that went through uh, the chambers and, and 
and they have already been signed by the governor. Um, and that's allowed us to look at areas where other areas where we could cut taxes. So um, some examples are that we were able to get rid of the triggers that would initiate uh, individual income tax that'll help you know, not only individuals, but families and small businesses. Um, we are able to phase out the inheritance tax over four years, which will help people who want to give away not only their assets, but their businesses and or, or property uh, to a next generation or to someone that's not necessarily related to them so that they don't get burdened with the capital gains and the taxes associated with inheriting that. Um, and, and you really be able to, um, you know, invest in businesses to kind of invest in themselves to update technology, you know, some of those, uh, you know, manufacturing 4.0 to help our smaller and mid-sized manufacturers in the state invest in their equipment um, so that they can continue to keep up with the technology and, and continue to supply those great, great family supporting jobs. So, um, you know, we did some great things with childcare this year um, in terms of tax credits and, and uh, incentives for businesses to provide high quality accessible childcare for their employees. We've also done a lot for housing this year and as especially cleaning up dilapidated properties. So I think that, you know, ending up with a surplus and being in good fiscal financial shape, and that's because of really disciplined conservative budgeting over the last four years has allowed us to implement some of these programs that we have been desperately needing in the state of Iowa. One area that's been of concern, of course, across the state of Iowa is uh, how the state uh, handles uh, uh, provides and pays for mental health services. Um, and, and it's been a sea change under the uh, Reynolds administration uh, to get it off of the property tax rolls to be more of a, a state spent and not necessarily a state centric uh, type of system. What do you see as the future for, for mental health issues? And, and do you think you've been successful in making it more accessible to more and more people? Yeah, I think um, what we did this year to get rid of the mental health levy and take the mental the burden of mental health uh, financing off the backs of the property taxpayers was really important. It was a big goal of this of, of our legislative session this year. Um, Iowa was only one of three states that was paying for mental health out of property taxes, and that is not an appropriate use of property tax. So getting rid of that levy and shifting it over to the general fund so that it's state funded not only gives it sustainable, predictable funding, but there's also built in increase because we know, especially over the last year, that mental health issues are only increasing, especially as more people who are having mental health issues are willing to um, get help that they need and, and become more aware of the services. And it starts, you know, really, you know, in my education budget, we dealt a lot with children's mental health. And I think that if we can continue to identify mental health issues earlier, we're going to save ourselves a lot of, you know, pain and, and expense later on if we can be more proactive in treatment and identifying issues um, earlier in a child's life. And that's an excellent point is, is not only children, but as you know, Iowa is such a rural uh, state. There's so many counties where there's not even necessarily a therapist anywhere nearby. I mean, how does Iowa hope to improve, as you said, accessibility? Yeah, well, we're really utilizing, um, we've got the regional system set up in Iowa right now for the adult mental health. And then we're, we're utilizing the, the existing framework of the area education agencies, the AEAs that already provide services in our schools. So, you know, we are really blessed in this area to have Vera French, which are school-based counseling services. Two of my own children uh, benefited from Vera French counselors that provided mental health uh, treatment right there in the school. So they didn't have to worry about transportation to appointments and, and, you know, taking time out of the day um, that might be a barrier to getting the treatment that they needed. And I really felt like um, they got the, the help that they needed early on and, and um, you know, kind of 
were very proactive in that treatment. So I think that um, utilizing the framework that's already in the schools, you know, AEAs provide um, hearing services and uh, speech therapy and, you know, all sorts of services. And this is just one more thing that they can provide. And we've really given the AEA a lot of flexibility in terms of how they provide training for teachers to identify um, mental health issues that might be uh, they might recognize in a student, but we'll also giving them the flexibility to, to use that money for uh, ser additional services as they identify them in certain areas in certain regions. So I think that the regions will still have that flexibility that they need to meet the needs of the people in their area. Um, but the money coming from the state, I think, will be a, a big help, especially in terms of the increased funding that's going to be necessary to support all the mental health services. As you well know, the Republicans control the governor's office. It controls the state Senate and the state house. So it's giving Republicans a, a, a rare opportunity to uh, move forward with some social issues. And I start with the anti-abortion constitutional amendment. How important was that uh, to get started? Because as you know, it's, it's an ongoing process to get approved. I wouldn't call it an anti-abortion amendment. Um, it simply um, makes the Iowa Constitution um, neutral on the topic of abortion. So uh, there was an, a court case a few years ago where judges um, somehow found uh, a constitutional right in the Iowa Constitution uh, to ban or to allow abortions. And that simply was um, something that uh, is not in the Iowa Constitution. So what this does, uh, what this amendment does is simply make the Iowa Constitution neutral. And and I think what's important about the the constitutional amendment process in Iowa is that uh, in order to get in, to, in order to change the uh, Constitution, um, it has to go through two successive legislative assemblies, and then it goes to a vote of the people. And I think that this is a really important topic. The topic of abortion um, and how it should be regulated in the state of Iowa should be put out to a vote of the people. So we are in the step one of a three-phase process, and if it passes in the next general uh, assembly, then it would go to uh, it would go to the Iowans, uh, the three million Iowans, to determine uh, whether or not they want that language in the Iowa Constitution or not. And I think this this issue is important enough that I think we need to leave it up to the 3 million Iowans, not 150 legislators. Yeah, because you do really underline the fact that if it is a constitutional change, it is a process to do that. It is not a one-step mm. process, as you pointed out. But there are areas that uh, the Republicans, and, and you had mentioned this when we were talking back in January about the priorities for the party and this coming session, and you said that you were expecting more pro-police protections and also some uh, increased penalties on those who may take part in a protest uh, and, and perhaps, uh, I want to say, a crime is committed. Uh, it, it, uh, the, the penalties have been increased thanks to this session of the legislature. Yeah, um, I actually, you know, with my background being a reserve deputy in the Scott County Sheriff's Office, I actually floor managed two of the bills on the Senate floor to um, that were considered back the blue bills. So supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and they've certainly had a very challenging year over the last year. And, and um, you know, I want to be very clear, um, you know, we do not in any way um, want to stop or inhibit um, people from peacefully protesting. I mean, there are certainly if you're passionate about it, uh, an issue and you want to use your First Amendment right to protest peacefully, you are absolutely entitled to do that. But uh, last year we saw a lot of illegal activity, a lot of rioting, a lot of destruction of property and businesses and, and uh, you know, uh, crimes being committed and and that is just something that we are not going to tolerate in the state of Iowa. So, you know, and and we also saw, you know, the defunding of police in the state in uh, Minneapolis and what that led to a spike in violent crimes and we're just not going to let that happen. I mean, a big priority for me when I was running and I know a big priority for my caucus is um safe communities and we want to make sure that, you know, 
absolutely people are, are should be encouraged to practice their First Amendment right to protest when they're passionate about an issue. But when it becomes violent um, and it becomes uh, criminal, then uh, there need to be consequences for that. And we need to make sure that we are protecting um, our law enforcement who are protecting us 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And, you know, there were issues, there were things in there that, um, you know, protect them from, you know, people shining lasers in their eyes, um, you know, people attacking police officers. Um, there's some privacy uh, protections in there so that their pub, their uh, home addresses aren't um, on public websites where people could look up, look them up and, and harass their families at home, um, which was really a, a top priority for us. But uh, the qualified immunity, protecting them when they're out on the streets and having to make those splits, uh, you know, split second decisions. Um, and, you know, it's not protecting bad actors at all, but it's protecting um, officers who are out there doing the best that they can to protect themselves and the lives of uh, innocent people and protecting our communities, making sure that they are uh, protected, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day. But we certainly aren't protecting bad actors in any way. And, and, the, and we also put in there the Peace Officer Bill of Rights, um, which protects them when they are accused of wrongdoing to make sure that their rights are followed through the process. This pandemic proved, you know, difficult for so many things, especially this last election. Tell me, I mean, it, it seems like everyone was very proud of how Iowa elections were held uh, 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 mm -hmm. uh, and, and a huge amount of uh, ballots that came in uh, and that people avoided the actual lines of voting. And yet people think that mm -hmm. the Iowa elections went very well. Do you think the Iowa elections went very well? And if so, why did we have to make changes that limit the length of time that you can vote uh, and, and whether you can use mail-in ballots? Why, why are those changes necessary when we just had a pretty successful November election? Yeah, no, I think the elections went very well in Iowa. And, um, you know, I'm really proud that there was a record turnout um, in the last couple of elections that we've had in Iowa and that people throughout the pandemic were able to utilize the absentee ballot request forms. Um, but I think, you know, with every election, uh, we get we get actually a lot of the ideas for uh, election reform from the state county auditors association um, just to make sure that election uh, rules and guidelines across all 99 counties are uniform. Make sure, you know, if a vote counts in one county, then it should count in another county, um, just to make sure there's consistency, especially with, with recounts. And and there was an issue uh, last year with three county auditors that were fill, that were sending out um, absentee ballot requests with um, pre-populating uh, identifiable information. And the point of an absentee ballot and voter ID is that you want to make sure that the person that is requesting that ballot is actually who they say they are. So, um, you know, auditors that are sending out pre-populated uh, absentee ballot requests doesn't really um, secure that ballot um, or, or help us make sure that the person who's sending it back in is who they say it is. So um, just making sure that auditors are following the rules, even if they don't agree with them, and making sure that every legal ballot counts. So we want to make sure that it's easy to vote and hard to cheat. And, um, you know, I think three weeks um, uh, you know, 21 days to, to cast a ballot is is plenty of time to request a ballot if you want to vote um, by mail. You can go in and vote early in person or you can vote um, during an 11 hour period on Election Day. And I think that's a lot of time uh, to get your ballots in. And, and, you know, people get sick of listening to all the ads and 
and all the neck, especially all the negativity. And you, you certainly don't want to cast your vote too early and then have something information come out that makes you regret the vote. And, you know, when it's too late and you can't, you know, go back and change your vote once it's done. So I think I think what we've done is really done a lot for uh, in the integrity of our elections, making sure that all legal votes count and making sure that it's very hard to cheat. But I think elections have gone very well. And I hope to see that our turnout um, continues to increase and because it just means that our citizens are engaged and they're paying attention. That's good. Republican State Senator Chris Canoyer of LeClaire. Thanks for listening to The Cities with Jim Mertens. And watch The Cities Thursday nights at 7, Sunday afternoon at 4, and Monday night at 6 on WQPT, PBS for the Quad Cities region. WQAD Podcast Network.